0: Hello and thank you very much for joining me on episode 209 of the Game Pit Podcast, a podcast about modern tabletop board gaming. We are a member of the Dice Tower Network. If you fancy listening to more podcasts about board gaming, head to the Dice Tower Network, Google it, look it up and you'll find loads of great podcasts there. and Check out the Dice Tower on YouTube as well. My name's Ronan, I'm your host, and this is a Picking Over the Bones episode in which I'm going to take you through reviews of a handful of games that I have been playing recently. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Three Ring Circus, designed by Remo Considori and Fabio Lopiano from Devere Games, wonderful players, roughly 75 minutes to play, and themed, as you might imagine from the name, around players' running their own, I'm going to say, 19th century circus around the internal century, something like that. And you're going to be travelling around different locations within the mainland United States of America, and you're going to be looking to put on performances, you're going to be hiring entertainers, and whoever scores the most points by the end is going to be the winner. It's played on a central board for the travelling round and doing performances, but you do have your own board which has certain stats and to which you're going to draft different types of entertainers into three different lines, which are basically the three rings of your three ring circus. The entertainers that you're going to draft come in a basic form, but there are also sort of main big headliners and they come in different colours and different values. And you're going to be looking to set up synergies between your basic ones and also your other entertainers across your circus in order to help you score bonuses or to get bonuses when you put on performances. So part of drafting in those cards is important. They're also going to trigger the ability to put on big, huge shows in the big cities and score yourself lots of bonus points if you have very specific combinations of colors and numbers that circus on your own board, your tableau, you're going to use by travelling around on the central map. And there's three different types of performances you can put it on. So every time you decide to put a performance, you're going to move. And you can go to a local kind of small town. And when you go there, you're going to make money. And making money means drawing cards. And again, those are dual purpose. They're either worth money, which is going to help you hire the bigger entertainers, or they're going to be worth bonuses you can use whenever you put on a different type of show, which is going to give you little, you know, little boosts here and there, give you a little bit of something that you might need, score you a little bit of extra for this, that, and the other. That's your engine to get you running. That's your base level to make sure you've got a bit of money. But you need to strategize a bit more and look a bit ahead because there are also larger towns in each of the areas on the board. And when you go there, you can put on shows to either score points or to draft more entertainers and within that that's when you're drafting the entertainers paying for them and you're looking to put on the real big combos that will score you the majority of your points as mentioned earlier there are cities you can go to there's one in each area of the board now the number of areas you're playing on the board is player count dependent but when you go there for very specific combinations like specifically a blue 7 an orange 10 and a purple 13 whatever it might be you're going to score a heft load of points As you fill up your own tableau with different entertainers, what have you, you're going to make certain sacrifices. For example, you're going to cover over train icons, which is going to reduce the speed you can go at, which is another part of where you're going to want to think ahead and try and work out where you want to go and where you're targeting. Also, your circus will have certain types of performers in there they're like little symbols in the top right corner and certain towns and that's fluid that depends upon the setup are going to want certain types of performers to give you bonuses so you are going to look ahead and look at the map before you start playing and have some kind of an idea of where you want to go although the other players are also traveling around and they'll be able to sort of take areas that you wish to go to or take cities you wish to go to. Every time anyone puts on a performance, there is a Barnum Circus, which is basically a game trigger, and that's going to start travelling anti clockwise around mainland US. And again, it depends what areas you're playing with. But for the first, roughly, maybe half of the game, maybe a third of the game, it's going to travel across and do nothing. But then it's going to start hitting these big cities as it comes back around again towards the northeast. And as it hits the big cities, it's going to trigger area majority scoring in that area. Another reason why you might want to think about which towns you want to go to in order to maximise your area majority scoring. Now, once Barnum gets all the way back to the start city, that is going to be the end of the game. And like I said, most victory points is the winner. A three-ring circus takes a particular approach to the game, especially for a Euro game, you know, over an hour long. It removes obstacles. It doesn't say, this is what you're trying to do. Here's the eight hoops you've got to jump through to get it. Uh, It might have been themed for a circus, jumping through eight hoops. It says, here's what you want to do, do it. For example, whenever you've taken an entertainer into any of your three rings, that then immediately provides a discount for the higher-up entertainers. So you you might look at it and go, 16, that's loads. That'll take me forever to make that money. But if I put in a six now that's now only cost me 10 and if I can build up to 11 of that by paying five extra at some point I've only got five more to pay to get to that really valuable entertainer and it's more about your choices and what you choose to do with your circus rather than having to hop all the time over these hurdles that are kind of falsely getting put in front of you sometimes I feel in euros the game's just trying to block you so much it's hard for you to actually have fun you're just constantly fighting 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 I don't mind a tight euro where I can do stuff But if you're trying to make me do eight different things just to get to to my short-term goal, maybe I don't love those so much. As I said, as the trains disappear, your movement becomes restricted. But it does really kind of create a sense of pacing in that, you, you know, you're this small agile circus dotting around doing these small towns. But eventually you're almost sort of got to get your own circuit going on and and plan yourself it's like you're advertising the head it's like we're going here we're going there you're not advertising there it's just in my head i'm doing that but that's the feeling that gave me this. you're becoming a bit more of a behemoth and a juggernaut and there has to be more thought into every move you do you, you, you stop moving as much i quite like the feeling of that now another thing as you fill up the columns of your three rings which you're going to kind of have to do, it makes you play end-game scoring cards. So you draw them at a certain point and then you get to play them. I'm not a lover of the way the end-game scoring cards work because you don't get to see them originally early on and you're kind of forced to make choices and you have a very small selection of them and it's like, well, these don't really vibe with what I'm trying to do or what's falling into my lap during the course of the game and sometimes just that pure luck of a limited draw early on can really affect your scoring at the end and can make the difference in euro we are working hard yeah you are trying to score points not a lover of the way that worked what i do like is the whole thing makes internal thematic logic you're running a circus i'm doing this to get that i'm getting in this entertainer to do that i'm getting in this person because it triggers off that person that they like to have seals here's all my seals that's gonna score me points it all makes sense i'm not going to review kutna Aura and evacuation although i played them both but i just wanted to kind of pull it in a little bit as a comparison between this and maybe some other games that came out at the same time as it yeah they're slightly longer slightly heavier but to me both those games the logic within them was entirely within the mechanisms and you had to dive into a hole to understand what was going on and if someone comes along to you and you're halfway through and they say what's going on it's very very difficult it couldn't or an evacuation to explain what's going on and why you're doing something and how the market's been affected or where my satellites are and where my power's coming from and there are games that are within their own little worlds whereas with three ring circus now that's whether well, it's negative or positive is entirely sort of down to you or down to your experience. But I found that with Three Wing circuits, if anyone walked up to me, I can explain what I'm doing. I've got these entertainers. I'm going here. That's why I'm going there. Look at that. And it all made sense. And that gave a, a freedom of play, an ease of teach that I did appreciate, which initially, because of the very bright production, what have you, I thought like, oh, maybe there's not too much to this game. But there is enough. There's plenty there. And as you make choices, you find yourself cutting off certain paths but opening up other ones. But it's driven by you. You're the one making all the decisions. I feel like kutnoora has its own logic and its own way of playing it. It's saying, here's a strict framework you're playing within it. I find with Evacuation, like I find with almost all Vladimir Suki's games, I can hear the author's voice all the time. And I feel like... Vladimir wants me to play this game in a certain way and the closer I play it to the ideal way that they have in their mind of playing it the more points I'll score and I don't feel that in three ring circus I feel like I've got a bit of freedom to move around and do what I want to do and create what I want to create and follow the combos that I can get and like I say I, I liked that feeling within it you're in control you choose what happens to your circus maybe possibly a limited play space so it's not going to give you countless repetitions of play, but it's very pleasing to play. It's very nicely made again by Devere. It's very competent and it's certainly worth your time. Seeing as Shaw makes me give them figures, I'm going to give Three Ring Circus a 73. Next game up is Wild Tiled West. It's a polyomino game from Paul Denon, designer of Dune Imperium. She's got a massive hit on his hands there. It comes from Dire Wolf, same company. And one to five players takes 90 minutes. In Wild Tiled West, in the middle of the table, we're going to set up two boards of tiles. And the tiles are polyominoes, and they depict grasslands, and they depict buildings. And everyone has got their own town map. Uh, Well, it's a map with sort of towns on there very abstractly shown their own area and during the course of the game we're going to roll a number of players plus one dice and then everyone is going to choose a dice in sort of you know drafting round in one round everyone gets one die and that die that you choose is going to dictate what row or column you can take tiles from now when you choose your die you put it on the row or column well, there's two different colors so one's for rows one's for columns sort of thing and then you if you take the first one in front of you, you would have to pay an extra. But you can skip over only in certain spaces, river spaces, in order to take tiles from beyond. So there is a decision to make there. And then the tiles you're taking, you're going to put on your board. And what you're looking to do is completely cover those town areas. So like those spaces that are desolated towns. And they'll score you points every time you cover up a whole town. There are mines on the board whenever you surround a mine completely that's going to score you points also it's going to get you more of a gold income which will give you more choice when it comes to tiles again because you can skip over again by paying gold and also certain tiles require gold to pay for them so if you want some of the more valuable ones you're going to have to live a little bit in you're going to want to sort of wrangle fields so, the bigger a field, the bigger the number of points you get when you decide that you're going to wrangle it and you might you wrangled it, and then you can get bonuses for doing that as well. So, you, these polyominoes, you're trying to create fields together, you're trying to cover towns, you're trying to surround mines. You get the idea, you play polyomino games. There's sort of a twist in there in that some of these tiles come with hill bandits on them, they're called. And when you put your board starts on as well, when you put hill bandits into play, there's also certain ones that give you sheriffs, uh, which you can put and you're trying to line them up with hill bandits. Because because. because then there's another resource in the game, which is bullets. And once you've lined up sheriffs and hill bandits, if you get any bullets, the sheriff can shoot and can take hill bandits out. Now, the sheriff shoots in a straight line. You're going to... Basically, score points for having taken them out. And then within all these things you do, there are also these partner cards. Now, you get some at the beginning, but you can also get some more by getting different buildings. Different buildings when you surround them trigger off, different buildings trigger at the end of the game. There's lots of different buildings you can put in as you're laying down. Now, they're nothing to do with the towns. The towns are just spaces on the board, but these buildings will have different triggers. And the way that you're trying to score your point, these buildings can help you go along a certain path. But then, of course, you're wanting the roll, the die to come in to allow you to take the correct buildings or have enough gold to have the flexibility to take them. So it's also, there's lots of things for you to consider and the partners that you've got, you know, they might, give you points for the number of balance you've killed. They might give you points for the number of buildings surrounded or mines surrounded or towns that you haven't surrounded or whatever it may be. So that will direct the way that you're going. It's not a long game. I say it takes 90 minutes. But I think that's kind of on the outside. I think it'll get quicker than that. And certainly it feels like there's a pace to it. In these polyomino games, often, you start playing them. There's only 15 rounds. When you start playing them, you think, "All oh, right, I'm going to do all this stuff. What Wild Child West does is say... You can't do all that stuff. You're not going to get it all done. You have to be quicker. You have to be more focused. And you have to redecide what you're going to do. And that can take you back when you play for the first time because suddenly you'll be like there's three rounds left i haven't done anything because you've tried to do a bit of everything so certainly after a couple of games when i've been teaching it i have been like look you really got to focus i know it's hard on a new game but you got to focus look at your partner decide what you want to do look for one or two things and focus on them if anything else falls into place that's great but to start with just focus on one or two things there is a scarcity of tiles within the game and definitely there's a race for them and if Especially playing higher player counts. If you can see that you and someone else are doing something similar. And there's only one of those buildings left. It can really be like, oh, I hope they don't get it before me. Turn order can come into that. So there is a bit of luck within this. As much as you're having to work hard in order to play well. So even if you play well, you may not score as many points as another player. But if you play badly, you're definitely not going to. It's one of those games. You've got to be on the ball if to have any sort of a chance at all. It is mostly Solitaire apart from the bandits, because at the end of, like, it's 15 rounds, but the sort of it's broken down into to the sections of rounds. And whoever's got the most bandits at that point is going to lose points. Whoever's got the fewest is going to gain points. That and the scarcity of tiles are probably the only interactions you're really going to have. It does take a few games to master. What I will say then is that once you've kind of got your head on it and you decide, oh, yeah, I know what path I'm going to go down, the choices then become a bit limited and then sort of the limitations of the draft come into it a little bit, and you're like, mm, see, I, I kind of the ideal game that I'm trying to play is not always possible, and I am kind of in the lap of the gods. When you're working hard, maybe you don't always love that. So it's a lovely production, it's fun for a few games, but it's a lot of rules to learn for those fuel games. And then I think it becomes slightly limited. So I enjoyed Wild Wild West. I think though, no, kind of a board game, cafe game, maybe if someone knows the rules, but I wouldn't say it's a keeper, so I'm giving Wild Wild West a 64. Next one up is kind of a funny game. It's definitely got a terrible name. Noobs in Space by Johannes Kenner, Sorry, Kenner. Krenner. Cosmos games, three to five players. Each game of it takes 15 minutes. Uh, oh, so as a co-designer, Marcus Slovicek. It's a co-op puzzle and there's eight games within the box and they are of increasing difficulty and it's space themed. You are kind of, you know, a, a neophyte crew up in space within some kind of spaceship and things start going wrong. Each of the players are dealt various cards, and depending on which scenario is one to eight, you're going to get different cards. Cards get reused between scenarios. And then you get a set group challenges. And the group challenges will be like sort of you need to decide which is the correct lever to pull. And then the game will tell you, and you, uh, it's random who's got what levers in their hands. And the game will then give you a set of instructions. So none of the levers set to the right, none of the white levers, black levers, but only if they are set to the right, no small levers but white levers with small knobs on the top of it does count and something like this and between you you're like okay hold on and you're not allowed to sort of talk about your cards in the hand but you're listening to the instruction and working it out and then between you you're going to put a number of cards in as your answer to that whatever it may be And then you might get another challenge, another challenge in which you're going to decode something. You'll get a list of instructions, and then like the third instruction will say, cancel the first instruction. Then the fourth instruction will cancel the third instruction. So the first instruction is back in play. And they're quite simple you've got things like you might have to wire you might have to put cards in certain spatial they're all like little if you have ever played an exit game it's a bit like that it's a bunch of challenges but you only have a limited amount of the information available for this particular challenge so you're trying to work out what your role within this is and you're trying to talk to each other and work out how we get there it's very light it's very quick to learn you're then rolling. There's no barrier to it. The ease of play is great. I think kind of for a mass market game, it's actually really kind of clever. It's addictive. You're waiting for the next challenge to come along. But to us, it never really got challenging. And that's the bit where it kind of fell down. And um, To me, for a group of gamers who are experienced at co-ops or experienced at playing these puzzle things, there's not enough there. It was addictive. We played it. We played all eight in one go. It took us a couple of hours We smashed them all and went, oh no, that was cool. Like I had I had a nice shared time. I wish it had been a bit more challenging. But I don't think it's aimed at me. I think it's aimed at maybe a slightly, you know, more casual gaming group, and I can understand that entirely. And I think apart from the name, it's a very decent, cheap, fun product in which a bunch of people can have a really good evening together. And we did have a good time with it. But I can't fully recommend it just because like I was left a little bit wanting. So I've given Noobs in Space a 60. Nekojima from David Carmona and Karen again. 1 to 5 players, 30 minutes, unfriendly games, dexterity game. So dexterity games, a lot of them have got a good idea. And you hear the idea and you go, oh, that sounds really cool. And you get quite excited. It then becomes quite a subtle art to entrap the player, beyond that stage of the initial excitement of the idea. A lot of Dexterity games, you go, oh, that's a really cool idea, and you play it, and you laugh for 10 minutes, and then you go, yeah, that's it, I'm done. Nekajima's idea is to get the challenge and the hilarity and the dickiness. It, it, it throws it all at you. It gives you a co-op. It gives you a competitive mode. It gives you challenge modes. It gives you all sorts. I'm not sure they really decided what the best way to play with this idea was and the idea is that you get a bunch of they're like mini nunchucks it's it's two wooden poles of varying lengths connected by a length of string and there's four colours of string and like one of them's the longest ones you know a colour that's a long one and then the short way let's say white whatever is the shortest colour string and it's played on a board that's got four sectors and on your turn you roll a couple of dice and you've got to place the two poles of the colour that rolled into the two colours that have been rolled for your sectors and then it depends on what mode you're playing as to how that goes there's another the chance the, the, the kind of the unique bit of it is that there are these cats and sometimes these cats have to be hung off the strings that go between poles but they can only touch their own string they can't touch a pole They can't touch another cat whatever and the whole idea is cool it's physically really appealing and i think that each group will have to find its own way of it being fun to me i think naturally the dickier the better i think competitive is the best way of playing i love the mode that limits the number of poles that can be in any of the sectors because then you are forced to build upwards because if you're not doing that there are very clever ways people can do to slide a pole in around the side and up and over and it is clever and it's fun to see but you end up with a whole load of level one or twos and you the fun kind of comes when you're building up and up and you're hanging cats off and it kind of looks really cool maybe i just want it to look really cool maybe that's the whole point of it but there you go it's a wide open sandbox of how to play with these components which are funny find your own way of doing it go dicky my recommendation and you'll have a fun time with nekojima and i it's caused a lot of laughs for me so i've given it a 76 if you've been a listener for any amount of time, you will know that I bang on sometimes about Button Shy Games. It's the publisher that brings out these games that are just 16 cards. Loveletter was obviously the progenitor of this whole idea, and then the whole world jumped on the mini game idea, and Button Shy have said, no, we're sticking with it. So, the likes of Sprawlopolis... Or Circle the Wagons have been my favourites of these. You've had Stew, you've had Natropolis, you've had a bunch of them. River Wild is the latest one that I have played. Now, River Wild was by Stephen Aramini from Buttonshire. One player, 15 minutes. The 16 cards depict a forking river on which there are islands and banks. There are different types of animals like fancy animals as dragons and stuff and then there's different animal scoring which tells you if you've got a pair of these together you get this amount of points if you've got four of these together you get that amount of points and you're trying to basically score with the animals You have a hand of three, it's got standard Sprawlopolis stuff and you choose one to play each time you draw another one and you're trying to make the best pattern you can. Now you're very limited because river has to go to river or mountain on the cards and you're always having to continue the river so there's only ever maybe a couple of places that are valid for you to play these down. And there's a very, very specific way to play River Wild. And there's very specific shapes that you want to create with the river. You have very little freedom here. If you start being wild, go for a couple of branches, you'll just find yourself in dead ends. Also, you find yourself scoring absolutely no points because you have to finish off areas in order for your animals to score at all. And it becomes very tricky because you've always got to link up this river. You get double width rivers and stuff. And you're you're fighting the game all the time. I found it very, very frustrating. Even just to sort of get an idea of what's good. Like, I throw it down. I look at it and go, oh my God, I scored like a point. And then the next game, i like, oh, I scored four points this time. And it took a while to start. Maybe it wasn't quite that awful, but it wasn't far off it. It took a while to start being able to score some points. And then, and I know some players, because I've, I've looked online and I've to people about it. Some players are very good at it. Part of this is that I'm terrible at it. But... Once I kind of got to my thing of, oh, I think I kind of, yeah, if I, you recognize certain shapes of certain cards, you can't put that there, put this there, that, yeah, make multiples of a scoring thing if you can. That's such a good idea. You score points for completed islands and stuff. Then, to me, it came about card draw. And my, my points were fluctuating wildly between what cards came up at the right time. And did I get completely hosed? Because it was so specific, the combinations that work. I think you'd do very well to follow the script to score lots of points in this game or just be better than me. But I was really let down by River Wild, big time. I've got another one that's coming from Bunshire, Ancient Realm, which I'm going to try. But this one was not for me. Uh, River Wild got a 36 and genuinely, that's being generous because it's in a very small size. It's, it's, you know, unobstructive. But, ah, God, ah. Right, the last game for this episode. I've spoken about when Sean and I were talking about our top games of 2022, played it at LobsterCon and subsequently with lots of groups. It's Phantom Inc. Mary Flanagan and Max Seedman from Resonim. Four to eight players, 20 minutes. It is a word game. It's two teams. Each team for each round has a spirit. The two spirits look at a shared card and they pick an object on there. There's each team has a hand of seven question cards. They're going to take, when it's your turn, Mostly, <laughs> there's two different types of turns, but mostly in turn. Take two of your question cards and give them to your spirit. Your spirit's going to look at them, it's going to choose one to answer. The other one is going to put face up in the middle of the table. So everyone, both teams can see the question that's been rejected. The spirit's going to look at the one that hasn't been rejected, and then one letter at a time from beyond the grave is going to write D. Your, the team with the spirit has the opportunity to say stop, or no, carry on, give us another letter. And then the spirit right man ah. Oh. And then the team again has a chance to stop. Now, both teams can see the answer, but only your own team know the question. Whatever time you decide to stop, however many letters have been drawn, it then goes to the other side, and they get the chance to do the exact same thing. Question cards, hand one, put one down, start answering. And then both teams are looking at both these answers, but only knowing half the questions. You can, instead of doing that, choose to give an answer in which the guesses start writing out one letter at a time and the spirit will either like knock to say stop or something else to say carry on. And of course, if you write out the correct word, then you've won. If you don't, the other team could only see the letters that you've written to the point where you went wrong. And between that choosing the right question cards to be looking for information that's specific but the other team can't work out what's specific about it. To look at the other team's answers and try and mislead them while you're choosing questions and the questions are, some of them are alright and some of them are a bit nuts and they're certainly more obtuse than you think they are they're like, what superhero would you link to this? Now that's not a great question I think because it's um Either very super specific, like if Hammer is the thing and you start writing Thor, we're in big trouble, right? Because everyone can see it's Thor and they get the next guess. But then some of them get a bit kind of meta and weird. And how, how would you associate things with this? And uh, what does it smell like? And you, you think, oh, I yeah, get these question cards, it's quite cool and fluffy. It's actually not. The question cards are quite weird. And you're constantly having to think outside the box. And when you're choosing the questions, it's You get that real thing off. we can't give too much away. We can't have too obvious an answer here. And to me, it creates a lovely kind of a tension between getting information, giving out too much information. Can you get your spirit on the same thinking as you are? Does someone stop them after two letters? And then you turn around and between your team, you've got four different things that you think those two letters start the word off. It's weird how many words all start with the same letter or two. And you get an unusual combination, and everyone's like, well, it's got to be that word, and it's often right. Yeah, yeah, there's some things, construction of words, maybe you don't think about that often, or I don't, I'm a bit simple. Anyway, Phantom Inc., I have found to be a ton of fun. It's uh, kind of a small print in. I don't think it's that well known, but I think it's getting more of a growing. And I think that if you like to play sort of word games and you have groups of people and you can play it with non-gamers and stuff, uh, and, and it works very well. It's got a very cool sort of vibe, sort of Victorian seance vibe going on, if you didn't that sort of thing. It's got a cool look to it. I just think it's a nice product, all right. And I've had a ton of fun with it. So Phantom Ink, for me, gets an 82 that's it. Six quick reviews. I hope you've enjoyed them. We are going to be back shortly. We're going to do a top 10 of 2014 sometime soon. I've also got a few more reviews for you coming. So, and uh, we say it all the time, hopefully the gap between episodes won't be quite so big, but thank you very much for sticking around. Much appreciated. Thank you for joining us. Like I said, search engine the Dice Tower network if you're looking for awesome board gaming podcasts. Or check out the Dice Tower on youtube.com. I'm sure you'll know what the Dice Tower is if you're looking for more gaming goodness. Music by E. Aaron. Boy, 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 boy.